Exploremore presents a reading from Strangers Like Angels with a devil or two to boot by Alec and Jan Foreman. Chapter 37 Kathmandu 12th to the 17th of December 1977 Nepal We enjoyed a lie-in until 8, had breakfast, and then used the camp showers, only to find the water was freezing cold. Oh well, at least we stripped off and washed all over for a change. Well, don't you look smart? I remarked to Alec. Anyone would think you're going for a job interview or something. Yes, well, I hope that will be the case. Alec replied cheerfully. He was dressed in his cream trousers, brown check shirt with a tie, plus the patterned azure blue wool jumper from his Antarctic days, fresh socks and cleaned leather shoes. We drove to the city airport, where Alec inquired at the maintenance department whether he could speak with the chief engineer. I'm sorry, but he's away at a conference, replied the young Nepalese technician. Can I speak to whoever is in charge in his absence? After a few minutes, a smart middle-aged senior engineer arrived. Hello, my name is Alec Foreman. I'm from England. I've come by to see if there are any job openings right now. I'm an experienced twin otter engineer and would welcome an opportunity to work here. The bus is away, but as far as I know, there are no vacancies, the man replied. You should check with Royal Nepal Airlines and see what they can offer. You'll find them in the grey hangar over there. Unfortunately, their director of engineering was away in the USA, and the personnel manager would not be in until four that afternoon. Later in the day, we returned but there was still no personnel manager around. Come tomorrow and see the acting director, the receptionist suggested. Following repeated visits to the airport over the next few days, trying to connect with someone in authority, Alec discovered that there were no jobs. That was a real shame, as I fancied living in one of those cute two-storey thatched terracotta houses. I could have fixed up my kitchen with those shiny copper pots and pans they sold in the market. Well, it was worth a try. Alec had to do some serious thinking and research by letters to find a job in Britain by the next summer. We calculated that our funds would hold out until then, including the cost of the return journey. During our stay in Kathmandu, Alec also tried to track down Ambrose, a retired Gurkha. Alec had served with the Duke of Edinburgh's own 2nd 7th Gurkha Rifles during his two-year posting to Hong Kong from 1969 to 1971. He was very impressed with the Nepalese soldiers' warrior spirit, work ethics and impressive smart turnout. How was it that at the end of a hot, humid, sweaty day, every Gurkha looked as if he had just walked out of a bandbox? 
Alec inquired with Captain Dan Hodge Tamang at the British Embassy about tracing his friend Ambrose. Disappointingly, after a few days, this search drew a blank too. On our first full day exploring the city of Kathmandu, we walked to the old royal palace. There outside the gates, atop a six-foot stone pillar, stood the shrouded statue of Hanuman, the monkey god. It was wrapped in a red veil and garlanded with fresh flowers. A red-fringed white parasol was fixed in place high above the statue. The local worshippers gathered close to it, bowing, touching and walking around it many times, muttering their mantras. The entrance to the palace was guarded by lavishly decorated statues of exotic four-legged white creatures with red eyes and mouths, ridden by oriental figures of eastern gods. Entering through the palace's giant golden doors, we saw the statue of Nara Simha, half man and half lion, killing the demon Hiraniaka Shippu with its long nails. Portraits of the past and present Nepalese kings were displayed inside on the palace walls. We climbed a nine-storey pagoda to enjoy an excellent view over the city and Kathmandu Valley. The rooftops spread far and wide before us as the pagoda towered high above the white-painted walls of the buildings and distant houses. From there, we visited several other temples located in Durba Square. In its own mini alcove was a very small statue of Ganesh, the elephant god. It attracted many locals, bringing sacrifices of food, ringing bells and dabbing their fingers in the red powder by the base of the statue to mark their foreheads. We visited the well-known location of Jochen Toll, popularly known by travellers at that time as Freak Street. As we ambled along, we passed a number of tourist shops selling clothes, trinkets and Japanese and Chinese prints on silk and rice paper. Also on sale were crocheted cream or white yarn lampshades formed with metal rings creating long cylindrical shapes and decorated with natural spice pods strung like beads. Kathmandu was the final destination for many overlanders who hoped to sell their vehicles there and use the money to fly back to Europe or go on to Thailand and eventually Australia. Many of the Western travellers were hippies, seeking enlightenment, who came by public transport, braving the uncertainty of where they would lay their heads each night. They put up with the unpredictability of what food would be available, plus the frequent chance of drinking contaminated water. We saw a number who were the worse for wear, bedraggled and unkempt with a thin, gaunt appearance and glazed, sad eyes. Unfortunately, the route east provided a ready source of drugs, which trapped them further in their vulnerability. Walking along Freak Street, drug traffickers offered us dope, but we declined. We were fortunate not to have trodden that path and had no interest in doing so. Interestingly, there were other young Westerners offering an alternative way. Hello, my name is Jeremiah. Welcome to Kathmandu. 
a bearded, lanky Swiss guy approached Alec and handed him a pamphlet on health and Christianity. Thank you, said Alec, never one to pass up a leaflet. What are you doing here in Nepal? Oh, I'm with the Children of God team. And who might they be? Alec inquired with curiosity. Oh, well, why don't you come and find out? We meet every evening at Joe's. Sing some, eat a bit, have a laugh. It's pretty cool. Where's Joe's place? I asked. He vaguely explained how to find Joe's. We bade him farewell and went our separate ways as we continued along to Durba Square. Bonjour, mes amis. We turned to see Jean-Luc and Martine running to catch us up. Well, hello. You're here already. How was the journey? Asked Alec. Great, no problem with the Land Rover at all. Jean-Luc grinned with satisfaction. Are you hungry? I asked. Mais oui. We're just on our way to the cafe we've heard about down Pie Alley, I added. Allons-y! Martine set off enthusiastically and we ran to follow. Arriving at the new style Pie Cafe, renowned amongst travellers, we entered a simple, cosy establishment arranged with tables and chairs. Apart from delicious pies and chai to enjoy, the management encouraged the clientele to stay and play board games and cards to while away their time. Between us, we tested the apple pie, banana cream pie, walnut cream pie and banana cake. We reckon the owners were onto a winner there, for we knew we'd go back again for sure. The following day, Alec and I decided to explore Patan a town not too far away, worthy of a bike ride. Bikes cost next to nothing to hire, and we were soon on our way after a brief call at the bakery to buy doughnuts. Such a splendid sugar boost before we tackled the uphill cycle ride to Patan. The town had narrow streets, with two- and three-storey red-brick houses. Each had carved wooden shutters, but no panes of glass in the windows. At Patan's Durba Square, we saw more temples with intricate carvings of gods and creatures. A royal bath was sunken in a courtyard, guarded by two carved stone serpents and a statue of the monkey god. We had to remove our leather shoes before entering one temple courtyard. Suddenly, a fat rat ran across our path well satisfied from stealing and eating the food offerings to the gods. Just off Durba Square on a side street, we came across a bookshop and went inside to search for a local guidebook. Scanning the shelves, my eyes were drawn above to the top shelf, where a Bible was displayed. I pointed it out to the shopkeeper, who then beckoned us behind the freestanding bookshelf where we discovered dozens of Christian books written in English on sale. Quite remarkable. We were delighted to purchase three for a pound. Useful books to inspire and lead us on in understanding God's truth. We later found out why he had hidden the books. At that time, there were 700 Christians across the country. If a Nepali Christian encouraged another Nepali to become a Christian, the first could be sent to prison. 
This shopkeeper, who worked for a Christian organisation, was imprisoned a year after our visit. We were so new to being committed Christians that we were completely unaware of how some believers have to choose to make a stand for their faith, knowing that they could be persecuted for what they believe and for telling others. Another cycling trip took us on a road out of Kathmandu, going past Pashupatinath Temple, which was situated near to the river. Locals bathed in the water or washed their clothes. Nearby, a dead body burned on a pyre. We cycled on to Buddhanath Stupa, one of the biggest Buddhist shrines in the world. It had four pairs of painted eyes, a pair on each side of its golden tower built in the centre, rising out of a huge white dome. The eyes faced north, south, east and west and were protected above by a blue, yellow and red band all around the tower with a rippling dark green fringe. Above the squared tower tapered off to narrower dimensions and was decorated with a golden band trimmed with red tassels. All around the base of the stupa, in alcoves cut out of the wall, were placed vertical carved wooden prayer wheels. These could be spun on their spindles, offering prayers to their gods. Surrounding the stupa was a circle of shops, selling clothing, handicrafts, etc. The place buzzed with activity as pilgrims and shoppers mingled together. We retreated from the hustle and bustle to a quiet place beyond the village and sat in the shade of a tree to enjoy our picnic lunch. Later we cycled along a dirt track that wound back through the village along by terraced farmland where the locals lived and worked. The weather was glorious, bright, crisp and clear. Later on our return to Kathmandu, we delivered our bikes to the man who'd hired them out. And then we went in search of the Children of God team. We tried to remember the Swiss guy's directions within the labyrinth of alleyways and thought we had found the right doorway. Walking through and along a low-ceiling tunnel out into a courtyard, it, it didn't look right, as there were only Nepalese families tending to their domestic duties. We turned to walk away when a lad came towards us and we asked him if there were any Europeans about. He directed us up to a poorly lit stairway to the top floor. A babble of voices and laughter drew us to an open door. Removing our shoes, we left them on the balcony with many other pairs, and then entered a crowded room where some twenty or so Westerners sat cross-legged on the floor. Hello, it's Alec and Jan, I believe, welcomed Jeremiah. Come, sit over here. Hungry? he asked as we squeezed between the other folk to sit down. We agreed and Jeremy arranged for us each to have a bowl of rice and dal and a mug of hot chai. A guy was strumming a few chords on his guitar and soon everyone was enthusiastically singing Jesus songs. They all seemed to know the words, but there was a lot of repetition, so we tried to join in with the choruses. They were a lively lot, especially the team who handed all the visitors a copy of the Mo letter. Alex slipped one into his shirt pocket to read later on. Can you clear a space over here as we're going to do a couple of skits? Jeremiah requested. 
and the folk who were in the way shuffled on their bottoms to join the rest of us on our side of the room. The first skit gave a sarcastic view of a Roman Catholic priest. The second was of a doctor doing an operation on a patient from whom he removed books, money, cigarettes and a bra. We were rather taken aback by the presentation and wondered what exactly the group was all about. A Danish girl called Hosanna befriended us, but her overflowing, exuberant expression of her love of and faith in God unsettled both Alec and me. We were glad when it was time to leave and return to the campsite to bed. After a relaxed start on the next day, we took the Land Rover out for a drive to Takshinkali, a pilgrimage location for Hindus. On arrival, we parked a distance away from the temple, located down by the river's edge. The temple honoured the female goddess Kali, for whom young male goats and cockerels were sacrificed. The steps down to the river were lined with beggars and holy gurus. Traders sold fruit and floral offerings for the pilgrims to buy and pay homage to their goddess. Inside the temple, many people paddled in blood in their bare feet as they pushed their way to the statue to present their offerings. They carried brass trays on which lay flowers, rice, eggs, fruit and a goat's or chicken's bloody head. Bells rang out mesmerisingly. The slaughtered animals' bodies were taken to the shallow, slow-flowing river to be de-feathered or de-haired and thoroughly washed inside and out. After the families presented their offerings, they sat outside on the grass to enjoy their richly laid-out picnic served on banana leaves. It was hard to watch the goings-on, especially the pressure amongst the pilgrims to reach the statue of the goddess, each pressing in through the crowds. How we longed to tell them that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, had made the ultimate sacrifice for sin, for all mankind throughout the world. It cut to the core of our being as we watched sincere pilgrims trying to appease their gods. On our way back to Kathmandu, we stopped in a quiet location by the roadside. We were heartened as we gazed at the majestic Himalayan snow peaks, shone off in all their glory against the cloudless blue sky. A few children came and sat nearby and we shared our tangerines with them. We were not in a hurry and nor were they, so I gave them each a piece of paper with crayons and they drew pictures. One lad showed us the pot of flowers he'd drawn. We were all too aware of our language barrier in most of the places we visited but to take time to try to relate in a positive, caring way was an enriching experience. Driving on to the city, we took a turning along a road past Tribhuan University to the old village of Kirtipur, set high on a hill. We parked the Land River at the beginning of the village and walked along the lovely quaint cobbled streets, noticing the intricately carved wooden window frames of the houses. Women carried brass pots to fetch water. At the top of the hill stood a temple, guarded by two stone elephant statues. Men were playing cards, whilst the women removed lice from their children's hair and rubbed oil into their scalps 
everyone was very friendly. Two young lads decided they would be our guides and showed us the various temples. One of the lads looked about nine years old and spoke a little English. They asked us to take a photo of them sitting on one of the stone elephants. We obliged and the older boy wrote his address in English for us, hoping that we might send the photo from England. It had been a full and interesting day, with much to record in the diary that evening. Total distance driven, 30,494 miles. You've been listening to a reading from Strangers Like Angels with a Devil or Two to Boot by Alec and Jan Foreman, presented by Explore More. Explore More is an adventure lifestyle brand founded on the 1977 travel stories of Alec and Jan Foreman with a passion to inspire people to explore more of the world, engage with others and embrace global cultures to ensure a greater understanding for each other and enable positive progression. Discover great products and more on exploremore.com. That's E-X-P-L-M-O-R-E dot com.